Well, good morning. So uh, we are in a series called Prioritize, and we're walking through the book of Colossians. And uh, Paul is giving us some challenges on what we should value, things that we should value in our life and put as first place. And uh, as we learn to put God first, here's the things that go along with that, okay? Colossians, and actually in Colossians 2, it was, hey, here's some things you need to put down. Like, don't try to earn your way to a love relationship with God. It's believing in him. It's having a, a heart that's responding to him. And guess what? Then you are loved, right? And so remember the phrase was, it's not to be loved, but because I am loved, right? That's our reaction. And that was the end of Colossians 2, setting all that down. Colossians 3, 1 through 17 is sort of then, so then what do we pick up? And 1 through 11 was some things that, well, quite frankly, it's putting to death the flesh is what it was talking about. Remember, not to be loved, but because I am loved, here's some things I set down. And, and, and so we were talking about put off, and, and this week we're going to be talking about put on. Those two phrases in the, in the original language basically mean get undressed, like get that stuff off of you. And then this means, put on means get dressed. Here's some things to put on. And it's not to earn, it's that we already have his love. Lord, how can I best honor you? And well, Tim, I'm not sure I really get it. What does put off look like? Well, it kind of looks like this. Are you ready? This is deep. That is, that is putting off. Okay. The pastor just took his coat off. Is that legal? Okay. Well, what does put on look like? Well, you got to make sure you grab something worth putting on. So this is a bear's jersey. Yes. Yeah, and a few are applauding, and the rest are bemoaning the fact that we cannot win a thing. Yeah. Bears jersey here, all right? I'm going to put this on, and yes, I'm going to preach in this for the rest of the time. Those who don't like the bears are going to have to live with it. You ready, Corey? All right, that took a little bit, but yeah, I fit in Brian Urlacher's jersey. I'm sure it's a little smaller, right? It's even signed by Brian Urlacher. Did you notice that? All right, I got a question for you. How many of you are happy I'm wearing a Bears jersey? All right. How many of you can't believe I'm wearing a Bears jersey? All right, just so you know, in this analogy, you're the world. Let that settle in, right? Let that settle in. So... We're actually going to be walking through what it means to put on and what should I be putting on? And quite frankly, there's two jerseys. There's the jersey of Satan and there's a jersey of God Almighty. And that's all it is. It's it's put off the junk, put off the stuff that would honor Satan, put on the stuff that honors the character of God. Today we're looking at put on. How do I do it? What's it look like? Okay. We're going to go to Colossians chapter three, verses 12 to 17. We got the ushers coming forward. They got some Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Okay. We're going to learn what it means to put on. How do I go about doing that? That God might be honored and glorified. Colossians three, 12 through 17. So the first point is, uh, get dressed spiritually with the character that you find Jesus has. Get dressed spiritually with the character that you find Jesus has. It's like, hey, what things should I be putting on? Well, it's the things you see Jesus being all about. It's the things that when we try to define who he is, these are the lists, okay? So let's just start in verse 12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Put on, then. Okay, we've talked about the word put on, right? It means to clothe yourself. Like, find the jersey that needs to be put on and go after it, okay? Put on. Notice it says put on, then. Then. It's somewhat like the word therefore, right? It means look back and see what's connected to it. Put on, then. So there's some reaction going on. To what? What was tied right before it? Notice it says in verse 11, but Christ is all and is in all. Like because of the greatness of Jesus Christ, because of his unbelievable sacrifice for us, because he is our redeemer and our savior, because he is absolutely the sustainer, but he's also creator because of all that he is put on that. Okay. Respond to Christ as God's chosen ones, as God's chosen ones. Literally, this ties to Ephesians 1, 4 as well. Same word there. You're seeing God choosing. And in Ephesians 1, it says, before the foundations of the world. Like God at work in my life before I ever existed saying, I'm working with you. We can be called his chosen ones. His chosen ones. Saved. Redeemed. We say it this way, him for me. That's the simple gospel message. Three words, him for for me. I just wrote this down. In what ways was he for me? What's it look like? Well, really two, physical and spiritual. And so here's a list of the physical. He stepped down from his throne, became a man. He was rejected by men. He was betrayed by a friend. He was illegally tried in the night. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit on. His flesh was torn the blood vessels were bursting wide open as he was mistreated and beaten the nails pierced through his flesh his body lunging in pain on the cross his lungs began to fill with blood and fluid he could barely lift himself up and he was suffocating on the cross He literally died for you and for me. Something we haven't even experienced yet, physical death. And he went to the cross for us. It says in Colossians 2 that it was nailed to the cross. What was? Our sin was. And that leverages over into the spiritual side. And what else did he do for us? He didn't just die on a cross. He did way more. He bore the weight of all of our sin on the cross. If we trust in him as savior, he's paid the price. And when he said, it is finished, he wasn't saying, all right, I got this cross thing done. Let's move on. He was saying the weight of all the sin of all those saved upon me, I'm carrying the weight of them right now. More than just bearing the weight, the wrath of God poured out on him. The wrath of God. Poured out upon Jesus Christ, experiencing what we should be experiencing. That he might be him for us. That's what he means when he says chosen one. That's a big deal. May we grasp the sacrifice of our God. It says holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. Holy, like set apart. 
uniquely his, holy, declared legally clean. And then it says beloved. We've covered this last week in depth, right? But you are loved. That's what he's saying. I want you to understand that I've reached out for you. I've done all that I can for you. I am literally paying it all for you. Come to me. You are loved. Go ahead and say it with me. Say, I am loved. I am loved. Say it with more passion. I am loved. Like that's who we are with Christ. Say it to the person next to you. You're loved. Go ahead and say it. Yeah, we switched it. It's you're loved, right? Some of you turned around and you're like, I'm loved. Good. You're loved. We have a God who's died on the cross for our sins and made a replacement payment available. Well, in light of that, what should we be putting on? Notice he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put on compassion. This is like in the original language, it basically means your guts are wrenching, right? It's got this sense of like intestinal angst. You're like... You can feel your stomach flipping. You're so hurting for the person next to you and what you hear them going through. And this is like the epitome of the definition of mercy heart. You so hurt with and for other people that you want to reach out. Compassion. Struggling because they're struggling. Hurting because they're hurting. Kindness. This is like benevolence in action. You see a need, you jumped in and you try to help out. Kindness. Being a part of solution not just hearing about it not just giving the quip and quote you know the christianese answer i'll pray for you right it's not that praying's wrong and, and we have a mighty god and coming to our knees for someone is absolutely important and essential and we were praying this week all week as we had teams out and for missions and as we had people out for biblical counseling training and as we had uh, students out on retreats last week and storm the throne of grace but be ready to act as well god might be calling you to be a part of the solution that's what he's talking about compassion and kindness they go hand in hand he says after it humility humility this is like putting others before yourself in fact it's basically not thinking low of self and not thinking high of self it's not thinking of self okay it's like thinking of the person around you and what they might need humility and not worrying about what you're getting with attention or honor or whatever meekness this is a gentleness a willingness to endure for other people and their hurt Are these the character traits of Christ or what? I mean, think about it. Compassion and kindness and humility and meekness. He says right after it, patience. Patience. Yeah, we love that word, don't we? Oh, good. We get to work on patience this week. Great. So usually what that means is I get to be very frustrated by things not going the way I want. And I have to learn to start tolerating and dealing with, right, patience We seem to think of it as like the most evil of all the godly character traits. How horrible that we must be patient, right? It takes it all out of us. Why? Well, because it's actually probably the most direct hit to self as you hang on and set your control down. Bearing with one another. That's like putting up with. It literally means, Lord, help me tolerate. Did you know that that's actually biblical to pray? Lord, please help me tolerate them. It's not that they're in sin, We just don't jive at all on this. We just don't see it the same way. And and what they're going after, quite frankly, I think it's weird. 
And Lord, help me to be able to tolerate in the midst of. Let's bear with one another. Doesn't it sound much more godly? Right? Tolerate sounds so harsh. Bear with one another. There's a Christianese word, right? It literally means I don't think the way you think. And Lord, help me to be able to get along in the midst. Putting that on. That literally is a jersey you wear. Is getting along with the people around you. Not making them always think the way you think. But being able to bend with them along the way. Bearing with one another. He says right after it, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. Forgiving each other. Letting go of. Being able to say, I forgive you. I release you. I'm done with that. Yeah, let's be done with that and move on. Forgiveness. You know, I just want to stop real quickly here and cover this in fast. I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but forgiveness. We need to make sure we capture three aspects to it. Number one is we ought to make sure that when somebody hurts us, we are always willing to release. Always willing. That's Ephesians 4.32. Like, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. It's like that word there literally means live in a grace-based way with. It's like, Lord, I'm always willing to see it rectified. When somebody comes to you and they say, please forgive me, if you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm going to need a little bit of time on that one. If that's where you are, then that means you weren't living in that, Lord, please help me live in a grace-based way. I want to release this, okay? So we must be living with a heart that's ready to release. We're anxious for it. When they come, we're ready in the moment to be going after it. Ephesians 4.32, living in that grace-based way. That's a good, strong definition of where we need to be with our hearts, okay? There's another verse. If we go to Proverbs, um, in Proverbs chapter 10, it speaks literally of being able to not make a big deal of the small things. It's actually to our honor to be able to release the small things. And it literally used the word transgression in there, which I was stunned by. It's it, To overlook a small transgression is, a, is actually part of the godly thing. It's like, we are imperfect. Did you know that? Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. Good. I thought it was just me. We are imperfect. And, and we, we make mistakes, and so we need to be able to live in some level of tolerance. And, and it's not that perfection isn't where we want to be, but we have to be careful if every single mistake is like, ah, 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 if, if that's the kind of person you are, trust me, this is what most people are doing. Not really wanting to be around that guy too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, all I do is get jammed by him. And, and, and he doesn't even understand that while he's doing the, ah, 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 He's like making a ton of mistakes himself. And, and do you see what I'm saying? There is some level of being able to work together and there needs to be some releasing of things without having to address it over and over and over. And that's what Proverbs 10 is talking about, okay? And, and yet at the same time, we do need to come to people and challenge them. Galatians 6.1 and, and, and with Matthew 18. And so when do we do that and how don't we? I'll just throw these two words out there. Harmful, habitual. When you see somebody, they, they've made one mistake it's the first time you've ever seen it, and, and you're like, that's it. I'm going after him. Matthew 18, right? And you're like coming in, and, and you're going to confront him on this, and it's one time. Be careful. Be very careful. But if you've seen this as kind of a habit, you're seeing him move into, and, or you're seeing him do something, that's ah, just one time, but it's extremely harmful, right? They're, they're going to, like they're messing around with drugs that could be completely addicting, and one shot's all it takes. And so you see what I'm saying? You have to measure it a little bit on the harmful habitual. Be careful. It's not go running in and kick doors down on every single sin. Otherwise, we all are just constantly pointing fingers at us all. 
And we have to be careful with that. That isn't what God's calling us to. There is a bearing with, there is a, a, a being able to tolerate in the midst of, and yet at the same time, there is a strong confronting as the sin needs confronting. Does that make sense? Forgiveness. It gives a level of ability to reason through how we should be leaning in with each other. And it's really necessary. Well, what if a person's wronged me and I'm deeply hurt by it and they come and they're like, you know, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I'm seriously wanting this changed. And do I need to forgive them? Okay. Yes. Right. That's kind of a no brainer. Like the church asked me if I have to forgive when a guy said, sorry, of course I have to say, right. Well, what if they say, great. And then they come back an hour later and they do the same thing again. They're like, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking about. And do I have to forgive them? Yeah. A little less people, right? A little less fervor. Yeah. All right. 20 minutes later, he comes back with the same thing and I'm sorry. I don't know what I was even thinking about. And do I have to forgive him? Yeah. Luke 17, three, he comes back even the, and Jesus gave the example seven times in a day. Like you think about how often that guy's failing. Like we're up for 14 hours. It's like every hour or two, that boy's coming back going, I'm sorry. And, and he's like, forgive him again, release it again. And, and notice it says, if he repents, then forgive him. And, and so there is on these harmful habituals, there's something that stays between us. The transaction isn't totally complete until there is the I'm sorry. And, and so scripture's not teaching, hey, whether they say sorry or not, just try to release it and act like nothing's happened. In fact, it's saying quite the opposite. When there's sin going on and hurt, we do lean in and confront. Galatians 6, Matthew 18, we're seeking for that change, Okay. These are big deals with forgiveness and we could do a six-week series on forgiveness I'm just saying in general keep some of these things in mind as you're figuring out how to work family issues Man, do we need this in the family, right? Hey, I know let's put four sinning human beings in one place lock the doors and see how well they do That's family That's what we do every day. Okay, so let's be careful with how we treat each other forgiving one another Even as god for christ's sake has forgiven us, right? I mean we have a release that has come through, through Jesus Christ for us. So you also must forgive. Be willing to release just to see released. And notice it says, and above all, like, yeah, those are all great, but let me tell you what's the biggest of the big. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love, charity, this passion for the well-being of another. Basically, you could say love equals the expression of all the rest of these. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13 and start walking through it, you're going to see a lot of these as love is. And they're defined by these statements above it. Love. God is love. What an amazing God we have who reaches out to us and expresses to us his passion for us. May we live in his love. Not in some man-made ritualistic set of rules to try to earn, but God's passionate, poured out, forgiving love. That's what we have available to us. Okay? Love. Notice he says, put on. I just want to make a couple of comments about put on. My role in put on. And I've thought this through a little bit, and I'm still looking for the best words, but I'm just going to say it this way. Put on. My role is to worship and serve out of what God has changed in me to worship and serve out of what God has changed in me. Let that settle a little bit. See, all too often, I think what we try to do is we look at the expanse of what we know we should be, right? And we try to be all of that as we move through our day. And what we find out is we're not all that. 
Like we're actually, we're not really transformed in a huge piece. There's this part that's transformed in us and we really get that and expressing into this other area, we keep falling down. And it's not that we don't stretch in and try those things, but it's God, as I'm going through my day, I expect to be able to knock this out of the park because you've been working with me and you've transformed me in this area. And, and I don't even know where you haven't transformed me. And oh, I failed there. Probably an area where God hasn't transformed me. And, and Lord, may I lay this before you. And as you humbly stop and say the failure is an area where I need you at work. Lord, I'm on my knees. Break that wall down. Are you hearing it? The, the freedom of being able to live what he's perfecting in you and hand over what he hasn't yet perfected in you. Like that's what we're called to. That's what this sanctification process is, is Lord, help me experience this unbelievable victory in the areas you've already changed and hand it over to you for a victory tomorrow in those other areas. Are you getting that? That's a huge deal in this put on. Go after it. And where it seems to be falling down, you're like, oops, I tore the jersey, right? Like those are moments to stop and humbly confess before God, apologizing, knowing this, he instantly says, absolutely, I forgive you. Let's get this done. Our God at work with us. That's what it means to be putting on, is cooperating with him, going after the things he's already changed in you and handing over the things he still needs to work on in you. Okay, put on. Let's just put it this way. This word put on, it's also used in another passage. It's used in the story of the prodigal son. Same, same words, okay, put on. And, and in the prodigal son story, remember, this is a son who's like, Dad, I know you haven't passed away yet, and I know I haven't gotten my inheritance, and, and I don't really care. I want my inheritance, so give me my money, even though you haven't passed away, and I'm going away, and I'm going to spend it. And he goes away, and he just spends it wantonly and wildly, right? And he, and he actually wastes it all away, and while he's sitting there in squalor, in total poverty, in total sin, he all of a sudden realizes, what am I doing? Even the servants are better off with my dad. I'm going back home and offering myself up as a servant to him. I don't deserve the label son because I've stripped that away. But And so he goes back home and as he's walking through the field of his father, still not yet home, the dad doing whatever he's doing, all of a sudden sees his son in the field. And he drops everything and he runs to him as fast as he can. He scoops him up in his arms. He's laughing and he's tears coming down and he's absolutely celebrating that his son has come home. And as his son offers up the, hey, I'll just be a servant. He's like, what are you kidding me? No way, man. This is celebration time. You figured it out and you're home. You're mine. And he takes this son in and he says, get the best robes and put them on. Are you hearing it? Same word. Same challenge. Christ is saying, you're mine. I've met you in the field and you're my child. My request, get the best robes and put them on. This is not a call to earn something. This is the amazing privilege of forgiveness and release from a God who has demonstrated in so many ways. He loves you. And he's got unparalleled robes of honor and glory that only he and his children wear. And he's saying, put them on. It's the best thing you could be wearing. That's what he has for us. May we see what Christ has and put those on. My question to you simply is this. Do you see God's character as truly great? 
Sometimes we actually start thinking, I'd rather just go after my own stuff. Be honest with yourself. Maybe this is a moment where you need to set it down. and Say, God, I need to hear from you. What is it that you need to start striving after in this list? Maybe some of it comes naturally. I, I love taking care of people and, and those pieces are fine. I'm, you know, not so much on that forgiveness thing. You make a mistake, I write you off. But, but the rest of it I'm good with. And let's be careful not to do some of the list, but saying, Lord, I want to experience all of who you are and the greatness of your robes. That's what he's calling us to when he says, put on, is experience him. Live him to the full and then share that outward with those around you. Put on. Second, let Christ turn your world upside down with joy and peace. Let Christ turn your world upside down with joy and peace. Notice he says, and let the peace of Christ rule. Let. That word means do this. Like hands out, arms up and let. It means that, right? It means, Lord, you've got me. And I'm going to allow, allow the peace of Christ to rule. Peace of Christ to rule. This is that calm amidst the storm. Like it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm totally at ease, Lord, because I see you at work. That's why I used the word joy when I said, let Christ turn your world upside down with joy and peace. Joy, it's that satisfaction despite the circumstances. Lord, may I see you as preeminent in my life, as first place. And because of it, No matter what happens, I'm in awe of you. Peace of Christ. Rule. What does that word mean? It means to reign, to have a final say. The final say is Jesus' peace. Wow. That one kind of hit me this week. How often do we get into a problem situation where we really don't like what's going on and we're like, the end statement, I just want you to know, after all the talking we do here, it will come down to this. What does Jesus have to say from a peace perspective about this? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Lord, you have control. I'm hearing you. May it rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Notice where there is peace, there is unity. Where there is peace, there is unity. Where there is not unity, peace is not ruling. Okay, that's what he's saying. So if we got some struggles, if we got some conflict... We all need to stop and start taking a deep breath and start figuring out how we get the peace of Christ to rule. Let the peace of Christ rule. And it says, and be thankful. Could there be a more clear command? And be thankful. Like make the list of the things that are going well and say, God, I appreciate this and what you're doing in my life. Be thankful that God might literally do a work in you. Now the second let. First was let the peace of Christ rule. Second, let the word of God Alert of word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell. So word of Christ. It's like the scriptures. The, the truth of who God is shared out to us. The scriptures. And let the word dwell richly in you. Dwell, it means make a home richly. I summarized it this way. Make sure that God's word has a home with elegance and power in your life. A home with elegance and power. I didn't even know the guy had a Bible. That would not be with elegance and power, right? I never hear them talking about anything they're discovering in the word or that's challenging them. That would not be with elegance and power. Like, Lord, I want to hear from you and I want it to rock me this day 
And as it rocks me and I go after it, Lord, I'm going to share with those around me and just let them know what's changed in my world. Let the word of Christ dwell richly with power and elegance in your life. Well, how do I do that? I'm not even sure how to get there. Glad you asked. A couple of ING words for you. Right? Right after it, he fills them in. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the ING words, teaching, like inform those who need to be informed. One way to get the word lit up in you is to hear what you didn't know. Teaching, admonishing, challenging the ones who know and they're just in rebellion. Standing up against and making sure they understand where they need to walk. In all wisdom, that's like knowledge applied. So what I know, I'm going to share, and God may change our walk, teaching and admonishing. And then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you know that singing is a release? And if you sing songs that are actually tied to Scripture, it brings a let the word of God richly dwell. Larry chooses songs very carefully around here. Most songs are put aside. The few that make it through, make it through because they are powerful, scripturally accurate, direct theological truth of our God. And we sing those to the highest power we possibly can, the highest volume we possibly can, that God might be glorified. It's not wrong to be singing loud in your car. Go ahead and do it. Crank it up and sing that God might be glorified. And I just want to note this real quickly. Just so you know there, it does not say anything about instruments here. And some have used this passage to say, see, I told you, no instruments in church. And, uh, and so I say, really? Take a look at Psalm 150. You might want to turn there with me, if you will, just real quickly. Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is, uh, it's the great close to all of the Psalms. And, uh, there's a nice summary of how we should go about worshiping. Psalm 150. You think it's appropriate to have instruments in and around worship? Listen to this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. You know, where God is at and where he's making impact. And praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. That's what we need to be doing in our song. Praising him. Ready? Verse 4. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with the... Strings and pipe, praise him with the sounding cymbals, praise him with the loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Instruments good? Yes. Amen. May we make sure we use whatever we got. Like it doesn't say drum there. I don't think drums are legal. It doesn't say organ there. I'm just saying. All right. Just be careful that we don't get that we don't get narrow-minded. This is a broad-based psalm that says, "Worship Him with all you've got. Bring it with all you have. Lift Him up. May He be celebrated. Don't ever get tired of God getting the glory, no matter where you are throughout the day. God, you've got my worship, and I'm bringing it with all I have. Amen. Amen. That's what we're talking about. Make sure He is celebrated. Teaching, admonishing, singing with thankfulness." Here's that word again. You're going to find the word thankfulness comes up three times in here. Pretty important when you start putting on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm amazed, Lord. I'm in awe, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're awesome. Thank you. Become an expert at seeing God's hand at work. All too often we're like, yeah, that's broken. 
And that's broken. That's no good. That has to change, right? We can nail down what's wrong. You also have to be able to nail what's right. And you better be able to do well at it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. A humble heart of appreciation as you worship him. That's what it looks like. You know, this challenge here is a big one. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of God richly dwell in every circumstance. No matter what, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of God richly dwell. Some of us are going through some big, tough circumstances. Are we ready to say your peace, your word? I'm not sure I know what that looks like, Tim. Let's take a look at this video and let's learn from what goes on here. Two weeks after Clyde uh, welcomed Christ back into his life, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And it's a pretty um, severe type of cancer. They can't operate. And um, he, uh, I see that as God's merciful. I'm crying for the cancer. <laughs> I'm crying for how great I feel with God back in my life. Yeah. I mean, you would never know he had brain surgery. How many days ago was that? And then it comes out of it singing, if I only had a brain. So, <laughs> so. The surgeon thought it was funny. Yeah. It's so easy to witness. You know, when you're supposed to be the guy that's down, and you're going, I'm not down, I'm going to be with God at the worst. Mm-hmm. They can't operate on this. And the uh, radiation. radiation, no more radiation or Radiation won't do any good, mm-hmm. so uh, they don't have a way out of this one. So God's bringing you home, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. We decided to celebrate Christmas early this year, just start celebrating the holidays. I always love Christmas, so we got the tree up early so I can enjoy it again this year. Yeah. And tomorrow's Thursday, so we're having Thanksgiving tomorrow. And uh, our small group is providing our meal for us. Uh, They're bringing everything, the trimmings, the sweet potatoes, the pies, the mashed potatoes. And we're so blessed. I came down the steps the other morning for breakfast and told Kim, I'm having a good time. I said, here I am. I found out I've got two two weeks to live. I'm having fun. I said, I didn't think it was supposed to be like this. Like I said, this is the best two months of my life. Best two months of my marriage. Nobody could ask for a more peaceful way to go away. God has really blessed us. He has. I think when you lose your life partner, though, it's uh, that's going to be an adjustment. But you know what I keep hearing from the Lord is, "Come to me," and that's I've been meditating on that a lot and what that really means. Come to me, and. Um, I just keep hearing him tell me that over and over again. And so rather than reaching for another person to fill that void, I'm going to be more dependent on the Lord than I've ever been. And um, he's, I'm, not, I'm not afraid. 
but. You have nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> I know. You know, I've been here 18 years with this wonderful woman and this view and everything else. I mean, who could ask for more than God's given me? I can't imagine. What a life. It's still difficult because, you know, it's always hard to lose someone you love. But um, it wasn't, the sadness was for me because I'm going to miss them so much. But there is also great joy. I even thought about the angels that were probably present to escort him home. And uh, there's great joy in that. I, I know he's so happy. I know he is. When Clyde uh, came back to the Lord, he was a new man, and the change in his life with Christ far outweighed the cancer. Even as his body was breaking down and just coming to nothing, the presence of the Lord was so great it overshadowed that. And that's where his energy was. It was in Christ, and it was, you couldn't help but have a joy around him. You weren't focused on the cancer. You were focused on this changed life. And. Uh, and that's what he wanted too. He wanted people to see that he was a new creation in Christ. More people said that's the most beautiful funeral I've ever been to. You don't expect comments like that about a funeral. And I just thought to myself, these people haven't been to very many Christian funerals. I've read about how the things I can expect when you lose a loved one, and I haven't experienced the anger and, and some of the other emotions I'm told I'm supposed to be experiencing. And I was talking with God about that actually this morning, like how is that supposed to look? And, uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. God really comforted me with that. It's like I don't have to grieve as the rest of the world grieves because I have a hope. That's a promise we have. We're going to be together. We're going to be together again. It's not, oh, I hope I see him when I get to heaven. I will see him when I get to heaven. I know I will. And I don't have to mourn like the rest of the world does. Because you know, I have a peace and I have that hope. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the Word of God richly dwell. It just puts a whole new meaning to it when you see a video like that, doesn't it? And what does she do? She goes right to a hope and right to the Word and walks her way through. And it's not that she doesn't need others around her and rallying with her. And it's not that we're not praying together and coming together. It's not that the Holy Spirit isn't a huge part of the impact and grace that she's experiencing at the same time. But we do have a choice to make. That in the midst of our walk and in the midst of the struggles, whichever way it's going, you've got my attention, Lord.
You've got my attention. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the word of God richly dwell. What are you struggling with? What do you need to just hand over and say, it's done? I'm listening to you, God. You've got my attention. Just hand it over to him, okay? So we're putting on, we're letting his peace rule, we're letting his word dwell. And what's the third step? Do everything for Jesus' fame. Do everything for Jesus' fame. Notice it says, verse 17, whatever you do, help me summarize the word whatever, it probably means whatever, like whatever you're doing, everything you're doing, right? Whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, action, statement, whatever it's at, make sure of this, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do how much? Everything. Everything. And that means everything. Make sure that in each step of your day and in each part of your work, in each struggle with your family, in each struggle with a friend, that you recognize that in everything, I'm going to do this in the name of the Lord Jesus. What's it mean to be in the name of the Lord Jesus? I just wrote these three phrases down. In the name of the Lord. What's that mean? It means with his power. For his glory. As his child. With his power. For his glory. As his child. In the name. Of Jesus. With his power. For his glory. As his child. That God might get. The greater glory. That his name might be lifted up. That's our role and that's our job. We are his created ones. We are his chosen ones. If you trusted in him as your savior, he calls you his chosen one, holy and beloved. He's saying, do me this favor. I got the best robes in the world for you. I'm meeting you in the field and I'm scooping you up. I'm putting my arms around you. And while the life here on earth may be this long temporally, we have eternity with our king. Eternity to be worshiping him. Let's get started now with what we do. It's been a hard week. We've had a number of tough struggles going on. We've had a couple of people in our body um, that are sort of fringe, but in our body who have passed away. We've had some diagnosis, even in the family of some cancer going on. That's very aggressive. Look, we serve a king who rules. Amen. We serve a God who knows what he's talking about. Amen? Amen. And as we go forward, as we step out, our job is to take off what the enemy would wear and put on what our almighty king wears. May we live for him. May we glorify him. May we lift him up. May we live for his fame. May everything be about his glory. And as we wrestle and as we struggle, wrestle transparently. You heard the words and what it looks like. Be real, but be trusting your God and his word with all you've got. His peace, 
his word and cling to it with all you have. And God will be glorified. Amen. Put on the best robes anyone anywhere could ever get and glorify your king with all you've got. That's what we're called to do. And that's valuing holiness. Let's pray.